calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit Shure.com slash Motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's S-H-U-R-E dot com forward slash M-O-T-I-V. You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find more great shows at castaway.media or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash castawaypodcasts. Hello and welcome along to Fair Game. I'm Elaine Buckley. And I'm Emily Glenn. On this episode of the podcast, we're tackling a topic that affects pretty much every athlete in the country, the elusive sport life balance. We're going to be exploring how Irish athletes at elite level contend with juggling rigorous training schedules and representing their club, county and country, all while trying to maintain some semblance of a normal life. In order to do so, we're joined by two women who are at the top of their game, both from very different sporting backgrounds, but both with incredibly accomplished careers to date and ongoing, and no doubt many sacrifices made for their sport along the way. A sharpshooter for both club and country, Anna O'Flanagan is one of the most lethal attacking forces in Irish hockey, as well as running riot on the front lines of major international tournaments with the Green Army. Here at home, she was pivotal to her club, Hermes' success in claiming the inaugural EY National Hockey League crown last month, scoring a whopping 29 goals throughout the season and taking home the player of the tournament title to boot. From one stick-wielding woman to another, Aoife Murray is a name that strikes fear in many a camogie forward. The six-time All-Ireland champion and all-star shot stopper has been protecting the post for Cork since first joining the panel way back in 2004. She hung up her hurl after last September's All-Ireland triumph over Galway, but she just couldn't stay away and has recently come out of retirement to rejoin the panel for the upcoming camogie championships. Anna and Aoife, you're very welcome along to Fair Game. Hey, Thanks very much. So before we get into the craziness that is the lifestyle of an, elite, of an elite athlete, let's get a bit of backstory on you both. How did you both get into sports as youngsters? I suppose when I was growing up, I would have played a lot of sport just, you know, out in the road, out in the street with, with neighbours and friends. And then when I went to primary school then, about seven or eight, I would have started playing hockey uh, initially. I joined a boys club so I would have played a lot with boys when I was younger and then eventually then I started playing with the girls team and then when I went to secondary school I obviously played then from then on in and worked my way up through the ranks. Okay. What about yourself Eva? Um, I suppose as well, we're farming background so there wasn't a whole lot else to do and um, one way of dodging doing jobs on the farm was just to go out and join a team so you could go training. I'm also one of 11, so there was always... Uh, Enough for a football <laughs> team. throw that one in. <laughs> uh, so there's always just games going on. And um, and I was very lucky that all my brothers and sisters probably were heavily involved in sport. So as the youngest, I kind of just toddled on. I was thrown into the car, and before you know it, um, I was very much like Anna playing playing with the under 12 boys team. And then we got a good Camogie team, and I kind of went from there, and we had quite a good sporting school as well. So played every basketball, volleyball, all those kind of sports in, in school. And with both of you play, kind of started out playing with boys team, was there no w- option for a girls team or were you just... There wasn't in, in my club but it was it was very good in the sense that 
well, I suppose camogie and hurling, they're, they're different codes. I'm not a member of the GAA. People forget that sometimes, so we kind of have to depend on, on uh, the, the male clubs to give us a bit of support. So when, at under 12, we mix quite a bit. At that level, boys and girls, there isn't a whole lot of difference between strength and speed and, and whatnot. So we always had competitions, and at under 12, as a girl, you could play in the actual championship competitions yeah. at under 12 boys, so, which was always very, very enjoyable. Yeah, it would have been similar for me up until until you go to secondary school, I suppose. There isn't a massive difference physically between between boys and girls. And I would have played on in primary school on the girls' team, but then also played on the boys' team. And then I would have played then in club with boys because a lot of the boys I played with in my primary school were on a particular club team. And one of the parents would have brought me along and I just rode in with the boys. But then once you hit about 12, you're then probably they start to grow and you're done <laughs> <laughs> and um, tell us about kind of your turning point in your sport when did it become something more than kind of a hobby or just something you were really passionate about at underage, underage level when did it become something a bit more serious um, I suppose with, with camogie um, there's the standard of under minor which actually I'm showing my age now I was saying it was under 16 um, when, when I was 13, 14 um, so there was all the set steps of doing going on to minors and then going on to under 18s and um, I suppose the next step then is college teams and trying to get your way through the junior intermediates and all the ways up um, for me um, at the time my brother Kevin was playing for the Cork Curlers so um, I kind of didn't have a choice but to take it serious I think it came serious at 14 15 when you had a chance at making the Cork minor team which in Camogie is a massive I suppose uh, stepping stone to, to finding your way up to, to the senior level so I think it got serious probably too early for me What about yourself Anna? Yeah I suppose it's similar enough in the hockey world you start off with your under 16 so you know you would be 14 or 15 and you would have made maybe your interprovincial team and then you might get a call up for an Irish trial and I suppose at 14 or 15 you're not you're not really thinking about an Irish trial you're you're just going you're playing for your province and you're you're loving it and then suddenly you get this phone call and you know again show my age they ring your house phone and <laughs> you know they ask can they speak to you and you know it's suddenly this this massive thing and once once you start going into that level and it's a step up and it just gets that bit more competitive you know you're you're kind of hooked from then on and you just try and build every year and go through the ranks and as you mm. said like try and make each stepping stone to to push on so and so getting through something like say the leaving cert playing at that level how was that um well it's they normally try and uh, stage it that you have a bit of a break um mm. but i remember for me gosh i remember doing my irish oral not telling my parents that I had my Irish oral so I could play a game. Oh I told him it was two days' time. <laughs> I was like, there wasn't going to be a hope, and I had no interest in doing my Irish anyway. And uh, so I think the following day I came home and I was like, oh, yeah, I did my Irish oral today. She's absolutely about to kill me. Um, but it's actually really good for you. You know, people yeah. just stop playing sport when you're going into your into exams. And I'm very lucky that my parents could see the benefit of going out for an hour, two hours, uh, maybe twice three times a week meeting your friends getting out fresh air exercising and you're going to come back and as someone who wasn't fond of study at least I did a few hours when I came back hmm. Anna speaking of study so you were an, on an athlete scholarship in the UCD at Astra Academy yeah. how did that impact your kind of study side of things in college 
Uh, yeah, it was a massive help actually when I was in college because I think the whole aim of the Ad Astra and UCD is is to balance, you know, your academic life and your sporting life and not to let one fall down because of another. So that was was really helpful for me. I was I was able to split my degree. So my degree was a four year degree, but I actually did it over five years, which meant that uh, in the it was actually more so in the latter stages of the degree that I split it, but it meant that I had just one or two less modules than everyone else, which just makes such a difference when you're when you're playing at such an elite level. You know, you're training every weekend. Your weekends are completely gone. Then you have other weekdays that are nearly write-offs, and you know you're just trying to keep up as best you can. So that was a massive help being in the Ad Astra Academy for that because they were able to facilitate those kind of things, and then. You know, there was a couple of times we mightn't have been able to sit exams or we were away in Argentina one year and we missed exams and they were able to reschedule them and make sure that we didn't miss out. So from that point of view, it was very helpful. But then there was also the sport side of it and we had access to the gym and, you know, excellent strength and conditioning facilities and those kind of, you know, additional things that really help when you're studying. Mm -hmm. So nutritional advice and... It that, showed yeah. in, that, in that UCD team as well, though. Like, you guys, you won, you won pretty much everything that, like, that in the year you went to Europe as well. Yeah, definitely. We kind of, UCD started out with the Ad Astra, and, you know, the, te- the team was always a very good, a good side, but I think the Ad Astra really attracted players to come in, and we had a massive influx. I think we had nearly seven internationals at one stage on our, on our squad. So, um, yeah, we, we eventually clicked and, and went on and was... Maybe two seasons ago, we uh, we won everything, went to Europe, and it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, so it's a great it's a great addition at UCD, definitely. You both play pretty key roles within your club setups as well. Anna with Hermes in Dublin, and Aoife with help me pronounce this. Say it again. There we go in Cork. (laughs) It is difficult to strike a balance sometimes between club and county, and club and country. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, for for me, to be fair to the club, um, there's two of us playing with, with the seniors at the moment, myself and Bruce Corkery. Um, so I suppose they're used to us not being uh, available for everything. Um, we t- well, normally train 9 o'clock with the club on a Sunday morning and county at half 10, so you try to get an hour in with your club and then you go and uh, you head off to county training pretending that you obviously haven't done your, your mm-hmm. club for, for an hour um, they really appreciate anything you can give to them if it's a half an hour 20 minutes or even you know if you're just standing on the side just showing your, your support for, for the girls um, but in, it's probably very frustrating for the for the club as well because you know there's certain time limits for us that we can't play two weeks before before a county championship game um, so there's probably going to be six weeks where we can't play any any game with, with our club what about even I think us, us dubs are a bit spoiled in, in the travel time respect um, like you talk about going between ca- uh, club training and county training there like what, what would be the distance uh, well I'm, I'm very lucky Clitov isn't, isn't too far from, from Cork City um, and we train just off, off the south link so it's we're probably about 20 minutes give or take um, but obviously for, for county if it's at half 10 they expect you to be on the field for 10 past 10 practicing certain things yourself um, so yes yeah, so there's always a bit of a bit of a panic bit of a panic and yourself Anna obviously this, this past season was a, a kind of a new one for, for all hockey players in Ireland with the introduction of the, the full National League yeah. how did you find that this season? Uh, it was it was really good actually it kind of alleviated some of the things you were talking about there about having to balance mm-hmm. that uh, club and, and country side of things because you know they 
they incorporated the league a lot more into our our regular international season so it meant then that uh, the internationals were fully involved in the EYHL and a lot of our fixtures were based around breaks in the calendar of the EYHL so we didn't have that compromise that we may have had in, in previous years where you're trying to you mightn't be available here or there or you know and it, it, it does cause I think I for myself I just feel bad then if you can't give to your club because club is kind of where you start out playing and you, you know you get your roots there and, and it's where you learn a lot and then you, you get move on to the international scene and you kind of want to give back to your club as much as you can so that's that was great this year with the EYHL we we were able to play every game and it really yeah it was brilliant so like those sound like especially the EYHL that sounds like a really compact year so tell us both of you guys talk to us a little bit about an average week of training like what does it look like um, for me, because well, I live in in Dublin, so um, my weeks can change uh, from week to week. Um, say, for example, a typical good week would be you do your gym session on a Monday, um, and then you know, I might travel down to Cork on a on a Tuesday night. So you're probably in the car at half three, and you get down for for about half six. Um, you do your your hour and a half training, and you're back up to Dublin for about twelve. And then on the Wednesday, you might try and just get a half an hour in in the gym. You just want to do twice a week, like that's that's about the max we're doing at the moment. And then on Thursday, if I don't do a goalie session um, up in Blanchard's town, then I'll just do a ball alley session myself with, together with some sprint work. And then Friday, you're back into the car, you're back down to to Cork, and you either have a game on the Saturday or you're training Sunday morning. Wow, All what right about you, what about yourself, Anna? Uh, yeah, so at the moment we we've kind of moved out of the club season now and into the international season so it would change a little bit but at the moment we'd train uh, so Tuesday mornings we'd be out on the pitch doing kind of technical skill based session then uh, we'd also have to get a gym in then on Tuesday you know at any stage on Tuesday or Wednesday morning then we train again on Wednesday evenings and then at the moment we're training Friday evenings twice Saturday twice Sunday so then if we're in club season we'd also train Thursday evenings and you'd have a match on a Saturday instead of the, the national training but you'd still then train on the Sundays as well that is it just, that just sounds so I'm, I'm never going to complain about going to train for my division <laughs> 5 hockey team ever again but um, I suppose beyond all the physical work like how do you how do you manage the all important elements of nutrition and recovery beyond that like say getting home at midnight like pre- even something like prepping food for the next day or foam rolling and like do you ha- just have to make the time for that as well yeah you have to just literally put a few hours away on the Sunday and just literally get all your food prepped for, for the week I, I very much struggle with, with that side of things because you're sitting in the car for three hours um, on the way back um, obviously you can't drive and eat at the same time so you're trying to you know, stop halfway up get out stretch your legs have a have a something to eat um, so that's the side that I know I personally struggle at the most um, and I think if I played for the next five years I'd still struggle at it I don't think it's a very much a manageable thing um, hence why I tried to retire <laughs> yeah good job <laughs> yeah, yeah it worked really well <laughs> and what about like with the international setup, Anna would you have access to physios and nutritionists kind of off the clock as such or is it all all up to yourself it, a lot of it is up to ourselves you know we do have access to to a lot of facilities but it does depend on funding a lot of the time you know so if if the money is not there which it isn't necessarily at the moment you know they are the 
the services that will drop because you know they're the things that maybe are a tiny bit lower down the priority which means it falls more to the players to do it themselves and it is very difficult because when you're so busy or if you're in work all day and you're trying to get out for training you're trying to pack all your work in which means you know you're trying to work through your lunch break and then you're not eating and then you're trying to get out to training you know it it does take a lot of organization and a lot of preparation and just just one day of of messing it up can you know you really feel it but it's just it's just something you kind of learn to to get on with and I I've definitely have struggled with it this year starting to work and and going to training in the evenings or in the mornings and just trying to find that balance but I don't know maybe I'll find it sometime. Speaking of trying to work you guys both juggle these really intense training schedules with full-time careers so you know how do you get on with your employers do they continually support you as athletes or what's that dynamic like yeah like um, I work for for a private equity firm we we deal with property loans and um, asset management and uh, all that lovely stuff Uh, I actually don't think it's sustainable or even doable uh, if they don't support you Mm -hmm. you have to have buy-in from them Um, obviously for me they have supported me with leaving me go at, at half three. You, they help you organise your diary. You just put loads of conference calls in for, for the, the two hours. So you're still actually on the clock. You're still working. Um, but it's not sustainable. It's not actually even enjoyable because it's just the stress. It's stressful enough with their support. Um, and I'm very lucky that they they love sport in my in my, my office. So uh, And to be fair, they all, actually about 10 of them came to my other last year. Sometimes some some of them it was the first time at Crow Park, so uh, no, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's manageable if you don't have their support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I work in a law firm in town, and you know they're brilliant. They're brilliant with it, and they do really support you. But you know you do also have to put in the hours when you're there, and you obviously have to show your value so that they, then in turn they give you that support. So so I think it it, it can be difficult finding that balance as well, but. But, yeah, it, it would be impossible if they didn't allow didn't. you those days here or there. And what about holidays? Do they exist for you guys, like summer holidays, or is all of your annual leave just taken up with <laughs> training camps and tournaments? <laughs> like, um, I think I was asked, actually, to take take a week off there, there last week because you try and save them, I try and save them for the summer, um, and it's all it's taken up by half days. Of, so, you know, you don't always not take a half day and, and head down and work time to, to make training. Um so that's what normally mine I actually well I've never had a summer holiday I suppose when you're so accustomed to winning all Ireland you need a few days off in September well, you, don't want to session, you, <laughs> you don't want to jinx it so I, you know you kind of leave some holidays there just in case but it's never in the diary and what about yourself Anna is it yeah. are you just all tournaments yeah we, I save this year I have used all my annual leave on, on tournaments and you know I was lucky there recently that I got to stay on for a tiny bit in New Zealand after we we were there playing hockey because I was coming back to go into college so so that was really really nice I got a few days there but um, I wouldn't be taking two weeks to go on a summer holiday definitely not (laughs) well fair enough (laughs) Um, so listen Aoife you battled a nasty back injury a couple of years ago can you talk us through that particular time, your recovery, your rehab, and and how it's kind of impacted your training since. Yeah, I suppose. Well, it was kind of an injury over time, um, and then 
got tackled in an all Ireland court, a semi-final, apologies, against Kilkenny. We lost that day about three years ago. Um, I just kind of got, got upturned and landed on, on my lower back and I kind of knew, I knew that wasn't, it was a different pain than, than I was used to. And um, after that, we, we, we lost, as I said, by a point and uh, I was playing a bit of rugby as well um, with old Belvo at the time. And I went back thinking I could just, you know, shake it off and you just get back, get through it. And uh, it literally just wasn't, it wasn't going away. And it was just constantly getting worse. So, uh, yeah, so I went, got the MRI, got the uh, the results. And uh, you didn't need six, seven years of medical school to see see what was going on. So I literally just damaged my vertebrae and um, herniated disc and a bulging disc in my lower lower back. Um, so that consultant said I was out of competitive sport. Um basically for 12 months and probably won't be won't be seen in Cork again so I did what he said which I rarely ever do uh, for, for a couple of months and it was just getting worse so I was only allowed to swim and I couldn't swim so that was great um, and I went to Santry Sports Clinic for a second opinion in January because I actually remember ringing up the manager and going also my brother I rang up Audi going I just can't see it just cannot see this this happening um, like you know I couldn't put on socks for example, just mm. you know, it just got to that stage, and uh, I remember just ringing him up, kind of upset one day, going, "Paul, it's just not going to work. Like I just cannot see myself uh, this working. You know, definitely won't be back for a summer." And so we got into Santry and absolutely had the best 16, 17 weeks. I think they used to laugh at me coming in because I used to love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the only one enjoying the gym inside there because every week I could see a progression. Uh, when I first started, my hands couldn't touch my knees. You know, two weeks later, it was just getting better. And um, by the by the end of the 16, 17 weeks, um, I was flying it, and I got, actually got back. Um, I got back at the end of April. Um, I was told I wasn't going to play in November. So it just it just goes to show that obviously second opinion sometimes sometimes you try and fit the second opinion as well into what you want. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's, it's it's been the best I suppose impact on my life is because you just understand what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um, I could change my car so that the seat was better. Um, so all those small, simple things and, you know, fitting two gym sessions in and just doing it for 20 minutes just totally changed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that the, the physical side of it, we, 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 hear, we hear talked about a lot, but in terms of kind of the, the psychological side of of sport, um, Anna, it was like, there's no dancing around it. It was heartbreaking to watch the, 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 how the World Hockey League ended last, last summer, the, the Irish hockey team's Olympic qualification event and coming so agonisingly close in that shootout against China. Now, we've since watched that same squad bounce back and just have some incredible achievements like winning the European Championships last year and getting that promotion. And what you guys did in New Zealand, the trip you were talking about earlier, uh, beating higher-ranked teams left, right and centre. But how did you, going back to Valencia last year, how did you pick yourself back up from that, from the disappointment of that, and just get straight back into it? I think, uh, yeah, it was unbelievably tough and devastated probably isn't even the word we'd use, but it's probably something we'll never forget. But, you know, when you come that close, I think you you realise that you're 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 just you're so close to getting there and yeah it's so tough and and it's it's devastating at the time but you know it's four or five years of work that you put into that and just to let that go seems stupid because you know that the margins of the margins are so tight so I think you know yeah it took us a couple of months and and going to the Europeans so close after Valencia was probably a good thing at the time it seemed 
like it was you know it was so tough for the girls to go there and to perform as well as they did because hockey was kind of the last thing they wanted to think of but to do so well it was brilliant and then I think we just realized that the World Cup qualification is starts in January so it the turnaround's very very quick and and if we let things slide in any way we, we'd put ourselves back and we just wanted to make sure that we kept kept climbing the way we have been climbing over the last while so I think nearly we saw it as as a motivating factor that we were while it was so disappointing and still you know our until maybe August is over we're still <laughs> devastated about it but I think you know we saw it as something that we could build on rather than maybe something that should should knock us down completely yeah. and and I think New Zealand was great that we were able to go there because it it gave us a tournament this year to really really focus on and in a sense you know that was our big tournament of the year and and we were able to build towards that and and then to do so well at that really showed that we're still on the up and that we're still competing with top teams we're still beating teams that are going to to Rio and in August so mm. it was it was great to watch like we really the time difference wasn't great as a hockey yeah. fan but uh, <laughs> getting up at three in the morning to watch yeah. the matches but like it really just looked like like a squad rejuvenated like it was afraid of no one go out give it everything and get the wins it, it was it was fantastic yeah definitely I think I think when you've been through what we went through in, in last June with with the squad and so many of us are still around I, I think you know I, I'm, I'm not sure we could ever reach that low again so there's kind of that feeling of we've nothing to lose here you know we, we've been through the tough times so let's keep going here and push forward and we know what we're what we can achieve and we know we can reach the world cup and, and we know we can do well in an europeans next year and and then push on to go to tokyo so that's what we're, what we're trying to do anyway Anna you're name dropping some really gorgeous places there like New Zealand and Argentina and then Valencia and we certainly followed <laughs> yeah. we certainly followed all your gorgeous yeah, the, the photos on uh, the hockey, hockey Twitter account made me very jealous there yeah. at the start of the year um, but talking about the perks off the pitch Aoife you've recently used your profile as an ambassador for Child Fund Ireland so tell us a little bit about that side of your work yeah so last year um Camogie Association, sorry, always try to partner with a, with a charity. Um, and last year they did a three-year partnership with Child Fund Ireland. Um, so I happened to, to meet the, the guys from, from Childhood, Child Fund, um, and they asked me to be uh, an ambassador along with uh, three other Camogie players, um, Flula Carr, Sarah Durbin and, and Max Darcy. Um, so we all, all greatly accepted. And uh, we accepted not knowing um, what was going to happen. So we spent uh, five, six days in Ethiopia in April just seeing what they actually do on the ground. Um, we're obviously trying to, to build the, the relationship and obviously the exposure for, for Child Fund True Camogie. It's not a really well-known charity in Ireland, but it's one of the top five cha- children's charity uh, globally. Um, and they kind of do what they say on the 10. It's children. That's exactly what, what they, they look after, which is very much like Camogie which is all local and getting kids into into sport, especially girls. Um, so yes, I spent a week, five, six days, uh, intense days, in South Ethiopia, and uh, yeah, I think what I saw was was very much an education. Okay, and was it kind of a motivating factor to to kind of get back involved with with, with sport and kind of continue that that work? Yeah, well, for me, it was all it was still on my mind and um, before I was going. I think. I think anybody's really honest. He retired. The hardest bit about retiring is when that that clock goes back, 
and there's a nice stretch in the evening, the weather is getting nicer. Um, and then when I went out, went out to Ethiopia and, and saw these absolutely gorgeous little girls um, just looking for anything, you know. Um, some of the scenes that I saw just makes you question things that you, I was complaining about living in Dublin and playing in Cork, but in reality, it's not really a big complaint. Um, and we had a game out there, and uh, honestly, it was the funniest half an hour ever of the uh, five aside, and uh, I think that's when I wanted to go back playing Kamoli. Fair enough. And uh, speaking of the grand stretch in the evening, we have a great <laughs> summer of sport uh, coming up this summer. Um, just kind of interested to, to, to gauge, how do you find the support levels in, in your sport? Is, is it something that you're aware of or kind of are the people in the stands and, or, and on the sidelines irrelevant to the job that's, that's to, be done, to be done on the pitch? Maybe yourself, Anna, is, do, you, do you think hockey is, is well enough supported? I think we probably have different levels of support, but um, I know from a hockey point of view, at club level, it probably isn't that well supported. You know, you go out to your club games and you have just the parents on the sideline and maybe a few club members who are interested. But I think, especially now in the summer, if there's international international games at home and and momentum builds, the support is definitely growing for hockey in in Dublin, especially. but it's not it's not something we're overly conscious of when we're playing or anything. We're just there to do a job. But I think it is nice when, when you see people, especially hockey is such a small community, when everyone just rallies together and gets out and supports the team. And I think maybe our, our results are, are contributing to that support as well. So Yeah, definitely. And what about yourself, Aoife? Is, is Camogie on, on the up? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I'd love to be positive uh, and say, yeah, it's great. Uh, be real. Uh, <laughs> um, but I suppose it's it, it's very much like Anna, if, if your parents and your family, your brothers, sisters, boyfriend, girlfriends, partners, if they're not at the game, mm-hmm. be a bit of an echo. Um, and I know when my, my parents go, even if I retire, my parents will still be going to Camogie because it's almost just a social because they know everybody they know all the other girls parents um, for years but I think the biggest issue facing my sport and and Anna's sport is the fact that women don't um, support it Um, and it's I suppose an issue that we're we're trying to talk about um, don't have the answers but maybe it's just still not the cool thing it's not the done thing um, for for other women to to support and I think it's something that you know if if maybe the the female organisations actually got together and kind of just figured it out um, but it's it's probably one of the the bigger bigger issues. I actually and, and people don't know us. Yeah. You know, it's I actually went to one of the girls' games before I came back and had to pay at the gate, uh, walking in, and I was just I look you paid away, and you're just I was just laughing, going, even yeah. our own people don't don't even know um, the the county girls, and maybe there's more promotion. Um, we we're we're going for three in a row, and we've struggled to get a sponsor for our jersey so yeah. just goes to show that's something that we have kind of we, we were asked to go to the, the women in media event down in um, Ballybunion Kerry yeah, yeah uh, a couple of months ago and it's something that we, we definitely spoke about was you know bums on seats media attention sponsorship all that kind of stuff um, but also you know sometimes getting organising governing bodies to, to row in and just give you information and make sure you know your information is really up to date so Bringing that on to our last question, right? If there was one thing you could change about the structure of your sport, one little thing, maybe, that would make life a little less hectic, what would it be? 
<laughs> As we look at each other going, yeah. <laughs> who's going to take this one? Uh, I don't think there's one little thing. That's, yeah. that's the issue, like, isn't it? You know, you just, you can't put your finger on it. You can't just say, listen, if they did this, it will be a 10% increase mm. on bums on seats or, or revenue. Um, and that's, that's the, that's the big issue for, for Camogie. Um, the one big step that they could do, uh, one is actually join the GA. Would be would be maybe just a positive step, um, or even more of a positive step would be if Camogie joined with the ladies' football and vice versa. So at the moment we have two ladies' organisations pulling in different directions, baffling. Um, yeah, we we've, we've three dual players and they're they're starters in both teams. And if it wasn't for for Paulie talking to Effie and vice versa, um, I don't know how those three girls could actually play both codes and um, that's that's the only thing I can I can really think of that could actually make a, a good positive impact yeah like a merge like that way but just filter down like it just makes no sense that they're separate yeah. organisations um, and it would it would be kind of one thing that would change a lot have, yeah. a, have a good it's knock kind of like on effect it's the most obvious thing isn't it you yeah. know so um, but here's dreaming mm-hmm. yeah, I suppose with hockey we, we kind of have the structures there and the structures are in place but it's more just a funding thing, I think. You know, we're just always fighting the checkbook and we're scraping the pennies constantly. And I'm sure, you know, Komogi's no different. But if we could just get that sponsor to commit to a, a good few years and, and really just put down the grassroots, then I think it could really take off. But when you're working, you know, you're kind of micromanaging, you're just working from each tournament say to the next tournament and you're trying to manage your budgets that way it, it can be very difficult to to create something long term but I don't know it, it seems it seems that women in sport is, is getting a little bit bigger out there and obviously in businesses and in the workforce like we both work and we're both supported but you know it just it needs to grow that bit more before Things can really yeah. change, and it's it's one it's one thing, um, especially with with so much going on this summer. We will be anything cor- the Cork Camogie team are doing, or anything that mm-hmm. the Irish Women's Hockey team are doing, and all sports will be letting people know when matches are on, mm-hmm. giving them the information. So uh, you've got our backing anyway, and you'll probably see us on the sidelines. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's on seats anyway. <laughs> Anna and Aoife, thanks a million for coming in to talk to us on Fair Game. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Massive thanks to both Anna O'Flanagan and Aoife Murray for taking the time of their hectic schedules to join us in studio and share their stories. You can follow them both on Twitter. Anna is at Anna OF and Aoife is at Kilnoder, which is at K-I-L-N-A-D-U-R. You heard Aoife talk about her charity ambassador work with Child Fund Ireland and her recent trip to Ethiopia. The Camogie Association have officially partnered with Child Fund, working to improve the lives of girls in developing countries. They are promoting the Dream Bike Scheme, raising money to purchase bikes for young girls and improve access to education by making the daily journey to school more feasible and less dangerous. Visit childfund.ie forward slash dreambike for further information and to make a donation to this great cause. We'll tweet that link for you too, so make sure you're following us on Twitter at Fair Gamecast, where we keep our listeners up to speed with the where and when of women's sporting fixtures in Ireland, plus all the latest news and views, and even the occasional giveaway. If you've missed any episodes to date, delve into our archive over on castaway.media forward slash fair game. 
With only six weeks to go until the Olympic Games, we've got lots of great Road to Rio stories there for you to check out to get to know the women who'll be representing Ireland on the world's biggest sporting stage this August. You can also subscribe to Fair Game on iTunes and all other podcasting apps to get each new edition direct onto your device. That's it for this episode. We'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. This was a Castaway Media production. Find more great podcasts on our network. Visit castaway.media. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.5%, APR 4.78%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 2% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.